dedicate unto the Lord, starting with our very own, the youngest son of our pastor and first lady, Josiah Andrew Johnson. We lovingly in the office call him King Josiah, and we lovingly call him youngest. We're not sure he's the last. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We also have Matthew David Lester, DeLance. DeLance Jalon Graham. Jada Simone Benedict. Desmond Lamont Moumba. Miles Quentin Simmons. Sophia Francine Strong. Robert Quentin Davis II. Anya Omotimi Allen. Tyler Lorenz Corey Jackson. Thank you. who love the children to also stand in and be a part of the child rearing. And what we're going to do is at this time, we're going to ask that the family members, we're going to ask the godparents and the grandparents, if you will make your way behind your grandchild or your grandson, Godparents, grandparents, and family member, aunts, aunt, uncles, aunts. Okay. We, we're going to ask that those babies that are being dedicated, would you please just come up just a little bit? just a blessing to be in this service where so many are being blessed. 
parents and godparents, and we realize that the child is being given at this time back to the Lord. It's going to come a day where that child is going to have to go through the Roman road and make a confession of Christ, him or herself. But truly we believe in obedience to the word of God as Hannah, when she asked God for a child, God granted that child. And she promised God one thing, that she would also give that child back to him. At this time now, we're going to ask that Minister Troy Smith come and share our scripture reading. And after Minister Troy Smith shares our scripture reading, we're going to ask Minister William Parrish to go by and ask the blessing of the babies for this dedication service. Minister Smith. Could the congregation please stand as I read the scriptures? I will be reading from the 127th Psalm, and it reads as thus. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. May God add a blessing to the reading and the application of his holy word. I would just like to read something briefly from the word of God that I think is relevant. It's concerning when Mary took Jesus into the temple and he was circumcised. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee, into their own city of Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for this dedication of these infants. We thank you for their parents. We thank you for their grandparents. We thank you for their immediate family. We thank you for their extended family. And as we pray today, Lord, we ask you to send your blessing upon each one of these families. We pray that the parents will bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And as we touch them, Lord, we just pray that you will send your blessing and your spirit upon them. We pray, Lord, that the institutions that they will be going to for education will create a spiritual environment for them to learn in. We pray that the home environment will be conducive to their nurture and admonition. Lord, we pray that whatever influence they are exposed to, that it will be positive, that the parents and the grandparents 
will be an example for them to go by. And we just pray, Lord, that you will strengthen these families that are represented here. We pray that the infants will be guided to the point that they will be influenced to give their lives to you at some point in their lives. And Lord, we just pray that you will keep these families and bless them and sanctify them that you might be honored and that you might be glorified. And we pray that the church family will throw their arms around them, that they will nurture them, and that all of us will become the family that you would have us to be. In your name, Lord, we pray and just thank you for the gift of these infants. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. church say amen. Truly again, we want to thank God for all of these blessings from above. Now we ask that we would just take part and continue to pray for these parents because just raising a child is not easy. So truly we just thank God. Parents, we thank you for your obedience to God. You may take your seat now.
let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, let them be acceptable in thy sight. For Lord, you are strength, and Lord, you are redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a word from the Lord in the gospel according to Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, beginning with verse number 16. Matthew chapter 2, beginning with the 16th verse. That 16th verse of the second chapter of Matthew, these words are recorded. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. I want to talk about the conspiracy to destroy Bethlehem boys. The conspiracy to destroy Bethlehem boys. The United States Department of Interior has labeled and classified certain plants and certain birds and particular animals as endangered species. And the reason why they have been labeled and classified and entitled endangered species is because the ability that they have to survive is in question. The ability that they have to survive is in jeopardy. So they are labeled as endangered species. And there are certain reasons and causes that have made it that these plants and animals have been labeled endangered species, but the number one reason is because of human activity. It is because of the activity of humanity as to why some of these animals and their lives are in jeopardy. Sometimes it is very purposeful. It is the purposeful extermination of certain animals uh, in order to save and protect other livestock. Sometimes it is the activity of humanity in regard to unrestricted hunting that, that these hunters will go out, sometimes just for the sport of it, sometimes for the recreation, sometimes just for the trophy or for the hide or for food or for clothing, but unrestricted hunting. And then other times, it is the spread of pesticide in order to protect the crops. But the protecting of the crops has caused it so that some of these birds and plants and animals have been destroyed. They are endangered species. But Jawanza Kajufu, in his series of books on countering the conspiracy to destroy black boys, has suggested that not only groups of animals and groups of birds are endangered, but there are groups of people 
that are in danger of being um, endangered species, that their survival is in question, that their ability to survive is in jeopardy. He has narrowed it down to black boys, but he says it in a way that it does not belittle the fact that black girls are also in danger, and black women with racism and sexism, and black men and what they have to deal with, and other groups around the world, that there are groups of people that are literally in danger. That is why the Department of Interior had to come up with certain laws and certain measures in order to protect the birds and the animals and the plants to make sure they can survive. And Joanza Kajufu suggests that if we'll do that for birds and animals and plants, then surely we ought to do that for those human groups that are in danger, that we need to come up with measures. So he comes up with these strategies and plans in order to counter the conspiracy against black boys in America. Well, what I want to do today is I don't want to just deal with the black boys or white boys or the children in America, but I want to back up for a minute all the way to Bethlehem of Judea. And let's go all the way back to the time in which Jesus was born, and we'll see that there were a group of boys in Bethlehem that were on the endangered species list because there was a hunter that was loose by the name of Herod. And Herod was seeking to destroy this newborn king by the name of Jesus. It has always amazed me through the years why Herod couldn't find Jesus. The wise men could find him. I found him. Some of you have found him. I've it has always amazed me why Herod could not find Jesus. There are some who are in here today that are saying, well, I, I want to be a Christian, but I'm seeking the Lord. I'm seeking. Why can't you find him? It may be because you're not moving after the light. You got to follow. The, the wise men saw the star that rested over Jesus. You got to move towards the light. And until we move in the light of God and in the light of his Holy Spirit, the light of the word and the light of the church, you will do just like Herod, hunting for Jesus and cannot find him. But I'm so glad that not only are you looking for him, but Jesus is looking for you. Paul says the word is nigh thee, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith that we preach, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised them from the dead, you shall be saved. If you're looking for Jesus, you don't have to go any further. I believe he's present right now. And the moment you believe that Jesus died on the cross and God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Herod is hunting now. He's protecting his own interests. He's trying to eliminate a potential king. But as he is spreading this human pesticide to try to remove what he feels is a danger, what he believes is a blessing to him to protect his kingdom is killing young boys. Let me just say this too. I know I'm, I got to get in a hurry because I'm trying to go somewhere with this today. But there are some of us who are so concerned about our sales and trying to protect our selfish interests are not aware of what we are trying to protect of ourselves is putting our own children and family in danger. Herod is hunting, y'all. 
He's trying to kill Jesus. He's trying to kill a potential king. I wonder why he couldn't just go in, see a baby boy, two years or under, see that this could not be the king, and then move on and keep doing that until he found Jesus. Perhaps it was the fact that every single one of the boys in Bethlehem was a potential king. Perhaps all of them had potential, all of them had possibility that if you let me develop, if you nurture me, if I grow, if I mature, I have the potential of being a king someday. Oh, but the danger was, the problem was that Herod killed the kids before they could become king. You know what the problem was? He stopped them, even though they were males, from becoming men. The boys in Bethlehem never matured. The boys in Bethlehem never grew up. The boys in Bethlehem never reached their full potential. Why? Because they were stopped as males before they became men. Well, maybe we don't understand there's a difference between malehood and manhood. Maybe we don't understand there is a difference between being a male and being a man. Because church today is full of males. But I need to ask the question, is the church full of men? There is a difference. There is a difference. Pastor, what is the difference? Well, males try to live off the labor of other people. Men seek jobs, find jobs, and work jobs. There is a difference. Males have a tendency of going from one woman to another trying to have sexual encounters. Men seek a wife, marry that wife, and make love to that wife. There is a difference. Males will shack up with a sister, but men will marry a woman. There, there is a difference. There is, males will have one child after another and boast and brag about how many children I have across the community, but men will take responsibility for fatherhood and stick around to raise the children I help produce. Y'all do understand there is a difference. And the problem in our time is the same that was going on in the time of Jesus as he lived in Bethlehem, that many of us are being stopped in our malehood and never making it to manhood. He was killing not the girls, he was killing the boys. Not that girls are not important, but if he kills the boys, who will the girls marry later? If he gets to the boys, then what kind of husband will there be without a man? What kind of marriage would there be with, without a man? What kind of family would there be without a father? What kind of community would there be with a broken down family? What kind of church would there be where the men are not living up to their full potential? Y'all, he went after the boys two years and under to try to stop them from maturing and being what God would have for them to be. And I submit unto you that much of the problems that adult males have now are a result of problems we ran into as boys. Boy, y'all better help me because I don't really have enough time to work this thing like I want to. But I do know this. I did a little research on this message. I did some research, and uh, part of the research I did, I went over to our preschool child care ministry, and I sat in the two-year-old classroom. 
I wanted to do some research and I wanted to know how Herod could kill these children, these boys, two years and under. Thank God for the child care ministry at this church and how they minister to the needs of our babies and our children. So my research, I just spent time in the two-year-old classroom. And while I was in there, I, I just wanted to know what was Herod, what was he trying to stop? What was he doing here? What, what was the problem here? Well, yeah, they were undeveloped. They had not fully matured in the two-year-old classroom. But something else I learned about them, they played a lot of games that day. It was a lot of playing, and some of the games, of course, were used as, as tools of learning, but, but I got to admit, there were a lot of games being played in the two-year-old classroom. They played a, a bunch of, a lot of games were played, and then I thought about that. Now, those are two-year-olds, not fully developed, immature, have not reached the level of manhood playing games. And some sister last night asked her brother, are you playing on me? Come on, somebody. And the reason why he's playing on you and playing so many games is because, yes, he's a male, but have not yet reached manhood. And I want to tell you, it's all right for a two-year-old to play games, but when you're 22 and 32 and 42 and 52, when I was a child, I spake like a child. I acted like a child. I talked like a child. But when I became a man, I put away my games. Is this making any sense at all to you? So they were playing a lot of games because they were not fully developed. Now, even now, there are times we play games. The toys are bigger. But it's still immature behavior. And one of the things I discovered in the two-year-old classroom is those kids really didn't know who they were. They didn't know their history. They didn't know their background. They had no idea about their destiny, why they were, they were still immature. They have not grown up. They have not fully developed. They don't know who they are. And once they learn who they are, it will have an effect on how they behave. You want to know why somebody will shoot you over a pair of Air Jordan tennis shoes? You want to know why somebody will blow your brains out over a car? You want to know why somebody will beat you up over a leather jacket? It's because they don't know who they are. I don't have to fight you over shoes and beat you up over a house and try to steal your car because I'm the child of the king. I'm a Christian. My father is rich in houses and in land. He holds the wealth of the world in his hand. I don't have to take what you have because when God gave you your house, that wasn't his last one. When God gave you your beamer, that wasn't his last one. When God gave you your shoes, he still got some more shoes. He's able to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, and I can't even receive them all. They didn't know who they were. Can you imagine stopping boys before they find out who they are? Some of you might know Glenn Robinson. Glenn Robinson plays for, for the Milwaukee Bucks. He averages about 21, 22 points a game. He's got a $70 million contract. He's a great basketball player and, and all of that. He got into a little scuffle. It wasn't a little scuffle, just a little minor uh, infraction with the law. It was a, a parking citation. Evidently, when he came out from the establishment he was in, there was a police officer that was putting a ticket on his car. Of course, he didn't like that. Neither do I like it when they put tickets on my cars. You don't like it either. But the issue began to escalate. and He began to uh, get into just a little argument with the police officer and the police officer not only gave him a ticket, but ended up writing a citation because 
Glenn Robinson refused to identify himself. He didn't say who he was. He never mentioned his name. He never told the authorities who, and I didn't even know you could get a citation for that. I didn't know you could get in trouble for not identifying yourself to the authorities as they're trying to deal with some legal situation. He got a citation because he didn't identify himself. Now, before we get too hard on Glenn Robinson, I might need to write some citations today. Because some of us who are children of God ended up hanging out in some places we never identify ourselves. Running with some folk we never identify ourselves. We doing something. Because if we told them who we were, it would have an effect on how we treat them. And it may have an effect on how they treat us. So some of us won't even identify who we are. That's one thing, but this thing was so bad because he took these boys out before they found out who they were. Because when you know who you are, it does have an effect on how you behave. It does have an effect on how you live. In the time of slavery, in the time of slavery, as European Americans left the shores of America and went over into Africa and took our foreparents into slavery, they would beat them and whip them. They were, our foreparents were dejected and down and disillusioned even before getting not on the cruise ships but on the slave ships. And they piled our foreparents into the bottom of these slave ships, just as many as they could get on there. This is after beating them and whipping them, snatching them from their families and homes. Put them on the bottom of these slave ships, came all the way from Africa to America. The discharge from their bodies were right there in the slave ship on each other. Many of the Africans could not handle the situation and literally died coming to America. Some were thrown overboard into the ocean where the ocean became the graveyard of millions of black Africans. But some remained on the slave ship. So now here is a slave that's been snatched from his family, that's been beaten and whipped and dejected, disillusioned, thrown into a bottom of a slave ship, the discharge from his body and others' bodies all are on them on the slave ship, riding over now with the corpse of a dead body right next to them. So by the time they got to the shores of America, they were down, dejected, disillusioned. They would not walk with their head up. They walked with their sl shoulders slouched head down, and would not look the white man in the eye. But there was this one particular slave that went through the same thing all the other slaves went through. But yet when he climbed off of that slave ship, he climbed off with his shoulders back, with his head up, and he looked the white European slave master right in the eye. So they decided, we're not going to put up with this. And they began to whip him and beat him, trying to beat his dignity out of him. But yet... He stood with his shoulders back, his head up, and he looked them right in the eye. They beat him and whipped him. He'd already gone through the things that the others have gone through, but now he still stands after being beaten and whipped and taken and snatched from his family, dejected, disillusioned, riding with the dead. His shoulders are still back. His head is still up, still looking them in the eye. So the, the, the owner of the slaves went to the man, the captain of the ship, said, what's wrong with this slave that he's not acting like the other slaves? And he said, well, I forgot to tell you, he's the son of a king and he has not forgotten it. Well, when you know who you are, 
And when you know whose you are, you can go through what other folk have gone through, but you don't have to respond the way they responded. When you know who you are, and as Christians, whose you are, you can handle the difficulties that others face, but you can still walk out with your shoulders back, your head up. But the problem is some of us are trying to be undercover agents. We're trying to be covert agents. We need a citation for not identifying who we are. We don't want, see, God doesn't need any secret agents. God needs some uniformed soldiers who are not afraid to let folk know that I'm a child of the king. I belong to Jesus. And when you get it straight up front, it has an effect on how you live. He was trying to take them out before they knew who they were. And where did this slaughter take place? Where did this destruction take place? Well, Matthew chapter 2, verse 16 says it took place in Bethlehem. Bethlehem? Yeah, that means the house of bread. It took place in the place where they should have been nourished and nurtured. But instead of being nourished and nurtured, they were destroyed. Where did it happen? In Bethlehem. In Bethlehem. Yeah, remember the angel went to Joseph, to Joseph's house told Joseph, take the young child and his mother, get out of here, go on over to Egypt, get outside the rule of Herod, get to an area that Herod's wickedness cannot get to you, get out of here. But the angel went to Joseph at home, which meant that the boys of Bethlehem, y'all, were at risk at home. Many of you love your children the way I love my children, and my wife and I, we're so concerned about our children, we're concerned about where they go to school. Because we know that the problems that go on in so many school districts and they can be at risk at school. We love our children so much. My oldest son is nine years old. We don't let them choose their own friends. We choose their friends for them. Nine years old, you don't know what it takes to choose a friend. I'll tell you who your friends are. We love our kids so much we're concerned about the neighborhood and, and the neighbors in which we live. And we don't just let them go in anybody's house. You can go in that house there. You can go in that house you can go in that house, but don't go in that house. Don't even go near that house. Just walk around the other side of the street from that house because we got some crazy people living in my neighborhood. Y'all ain't got to look at me funny either because there's some crazy folk in your neighborhood too. And I know that they can be at risk in our own community. But in this text, y'all, these children were at risk at home because oftentimes the crazy person is not the neighbor down the street. Yeah, some of y'all catch that a little later on. Many of our children are at risk at home. So let me ask you this. In the light of Herod trying to destroy Bethlehem's boys and the boys in America at home and the children at home, let me ask you this. What, what kind of influences have you allowed in your home? Let me, let me ask you, what kind of movies do your children watch at home? When you come back from the video stores, what, what videos do you throw in the VCR? What, what are you watching at home? What are the magazines you subscribe to? Those magazines on the top shelf, underneath your mattress, under your couch, under your sofa, under your bed. What have you subscribed to? What kind of beverages do you have in your home? What is that you're smoking? What are you drinking? What is that you're snorting? What is that at home? What kind of language do you use at home? How do you communicate? How do you relate? How do you resolve conflict at home? 
Much of the problem, y'all, is not just taking place at our school and the crazy neighbor's house down the street. Some of that stuff is taking place at home. Who do you let in your home? What influence, what friends, even what family member? Every family member can't even come in my home because some mess I ain't going to let go on in my home. Oh, he's so cold. No, I ain't cold. I got some babies in my home. There is a conspiracy, y'all, to take out boys and girls, and we got to be careful. It is taking place at home. I know that, that Jawanza Kajufu, in his book, Countering the Conspiracy to Destroy Black Bo Boys, he emphasizes what is going on at the school and the lack of input of parents in that school system and what school systems do and what he calls the fourth grade syndrome with our young boys and how they will label them and how they will exclude them and how they will quickly put them out. I do understand that, but we got to come to grips with our own homes. Somebody said, but I ain't, I'm not worrying about that because I don't even, you know, I drive into Indianapolis. I don't live in, in Indy. Let me show you something in verse 16. And slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in the suburbs. Did y'all bring your Bibles with you? What do you think the coast thereof, the outskirts of town, the suburbs of Bethlehem? Because the problems, y'all, that we're facing in our society, in our community, is not only taking place in the inner city, it's going on in the suburbs. Just because your house costs $250,000 don't mean you ain't got no problems. We got to be careful. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with living in the subs, but what I'm trying to tell you is you have not escaped from the problems because you've moved outside the inner city. I don't know if this commercial still comes on or not, but there used to be a commercial that said that 52% of the illegal drugs in America are being used in the inner city. I don't know if y'all have seen that commercial. It comes on and it says... 52% of the drugs being used in America are being used in the inner city. Then the commercial gets ready to go off. It shows a white boy with some marijuana in his hand. And it asks the question, where's the other 48% being used? Y'all, the problems are not just black. The problems don't just deal with the black race. It is the human race that is in trouble. It is the human race that is becoming an endangered species. It is showing up not only in Bethlehem's inner city, but it is showing up in the suburbs, the place where we ought to be nurtured in our own homes, in our churches, in our communities, in the place that we ought to be blessed, but yet we're running into so many problems in the place we ought to be nurtured. I was preaching in, in Daytona Beach, Florida. Daytona Beach, Florida. I won't say the name of the church, but it is a, it is a great church as far as the people are concerned. Church is only two or three years old. It's already one of the largest churches in that area after two or three years. Great church. I had to preach there for two nights. They had just purchased a facility. They were renovating and they were getting together. Sanctuary looked real nice and real pretty. They didn't use carpeting. They used hardwood floor. It was very pretty. It was a nice church. Hardwood floor. New church. They're renovating it and all of that. But when I was there that first night, I was only there two nights. When I was there the first night, I saw the floors, how pretty they were, but they had so much dirt on them. There were footprints all through this, this church. Dirt was everywhere. And I'm like, somebody ought to at least, out of all these people, and that's big old, somebody ought to at least sweep the floor. 
And if it all boils down to it, at my first church, I swept the floors off time. So somebody ought to be getting the dirt out of the church. And there, all this dirt, and, and, and it really distracted me. I'm sitting up here wondering, where is all this dirt coming from, and why won't they sweep the floor? Why won't they clean up this church? All these people, they're shouting and dancing and singing and screaming and hollering and preaching and teaching and sweating, and, and dirt is all over the floor. But then the next night when I came in, I discovered that they had no landscaping outside the church. They hadn't, hadn't gotten that far. There was no grass, no shrubs, nothing. It was all dirt. So as the crowds of people would make their way into the church, the dirt that they picked out outside the church, they were tracking it into the church. And even though they were singing and shouting and praising God, there was dirt everywhere. Pastor, what are you trying to get across to us? I'm trying to let you know that wherever you walk in the world, if you're not careful, you'll bring that dirt into the church. And we can sing and shout and wave holy hands and dance and all of that. But unless we get cleaned up, do I have a witness? See, because the major problem of the church is not trying to get the world to act like the church. It's trying to get the church to stop acting like the world. But I discovered not only are we tracking dirt from the dirty places we hang out into the church, but our homes are dirty too. Our homes are messed up because somebody said, well, my kids, they're not in danger at home because I'm careful about that. I don't bring that stuff into my home. I don't do those things. I would never do that in my home. But wherever you walk in the world, if you hang out at dirty places, you're going to pick up some of that dirt. And when you get back home, you're going to be leaving some mess in your home. So your kids don't have to follow you where you go. I wish I had one person praying with me. Your kids don't have to follow you where you go. You bring the dirt home with you. I think I told y'all before that, that my wife knows I like catfish, and so every now and then she'll fry some catfish, one of my favorite foods. And as she's frying the catfish, she'll be in the kitchen. I can be upstairs, down the hallway, in the bedroom, in the back, and know Sharon is cooking something. And I don't have to go all the way downstairs Look over her shoulder in the kitchen to see what she's cooking because there is an aroma that goes through our whole house. It spreads throughout the whole house even though she's in one spot. I believe there is a spiritual, ethical, moral aroma that goes through all of our homes that even if my children don't follow me every day of my life, I'm still allowing some kind of spiritual aroma to go through my home. And I want to ask you, what does your house smell like? In danger at home because we track a lot of mess in. So the problem is in Bethlehem, the house of bread, where they ought to be nourished and nurtured, but yet they are in trouble. The conspiracy to destroy Bethlehem boys. Well, who's in on this conspiracy? Who's doing the destruction? And somebody immediately would say, King Herod. And you are partially right. Herod is the obvious person that is in on the destruction. He is the one that said it ought to be done. But now, do you really think King Herod left his palace in Jerusalem and his summer home in Jericho, went to this little bitty ghetto town in Bethlehem, start going into people's houses and killing little Bethlehem boys? No, no, he gave the order. But there's some other folk that are not named in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, who were the ones who pulled the trigger. 
Herod is guilty. He's the obvious one. He's the one that gave the orders, but he's not the one that did the hit. Somebody else whose name is not mentioned, they are not as obvious, but yet they're in on the destruction. See, we look in our community, and we know the drug dealer is in on this thing. We, 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 know, we know that the gang leader is in on this. The pimp, the prostitute, we know. Those folk hanging out in the streets and the gang activity, we know they're in on this thing. Matter of fact, every time there's a death in our community, they say it's drug related. We know that. But there's some other folk that are not named in the news story. Some other folk that aren't getting any print. Because if you're trying to tell me that we're having a war on drugs and that we're winning this war on drugs because you show me a picture of a 15-year-old boy in handcuffs on his way to the juvenile center and we're having a war on drugs, you've arrested a 15-year-old black kid and you're telling me we're winning this thing? And that boy can barely find Columbia on the map. That little boy did not fly outside this country, make his way over to the drug world, bring those drugs into this country, get them all the way through the airport, get them all the way back to Indianapolis, to his little community. He ain't never even left. There's some other folk, y'all. There are some others who are in on this conspiracy to destroy these boys and these girls and these families. Well, well, now those are the obvious ones who are, and those who are not so obvious, who are directly responsible for the destruction. But there are some others of us who are indirectly responsible. <sighs> Let me ask this. Here, here is, here's Herod. He's given the order. Kill all the boys in Bethlehem and the suburbs. Get them too. Anybody that's two years and under, kill them because I'm trying to get rid of the king. I'm trying to get rid of Jesus. They go and they do all that stuff. Now, now let me ask this. Where were the parents while this was happening? Where were the, the priests and the preachers while the boys were being slaughtered? Where were the politicians while all of this stuff was I'm talking about in Bethlehem of Judea in the time of Jesus with a conspiracy to destroy Bethlehem boys. Where were the parents? Did the fathers just let them come and take their sons? Did they just turn, did they just say, here comes Herod's men, let's just turn the boy over to him? Did they just literally just give him over? They are, in, they are indirectly responsible for the destruction of those boys when we let Herod's evil influence into our homes. And then where were the priests? Where were the preachers? When the young boys were being destroyed, when they were not maturing, when they never moved on to manhood, when they never lived up to their potential, were the priests and the preachers, were they running around arguing about, well, you got to be Baptist. No, you better be Pentecostal. You ain't going to heaven unless you're Methodist. You got to be church. What were, we, what were they arguing about? Were they discussing about whether or not you got to be baptized in the name of Father, Son, the Holy Ghost, or you got to be baptized in the name of Jesus? You got to have the Lord's Supper on the first Sunday? No, it's got to be every Sunday. No, we just do it once a quarter. Where were they arguing? Where were they? We're so busy arguing over whose name we ought to be baptized in to the point our boys are being destroyed, and we are indirectly involved in this thing. The politics. As a matter of fact, now somebody's going to say, but wait a minute, Pastor, this is King Herod. Herod is powerful. He is strong. He is the king. He can do what he wants. He's already killed one of his wives and his mother-in-law. He's already killed his brother-in-law. He's killed two of his sons. Now he's, 
how are we going to stop him from killing our sons if he'll kill his own sons with all of his power? I'm not saying Herod won't come and try to take your sons and won't come and try to destroy your daughters and won't come and try to tear up your family. But I want to know, why won't you put up a fight? I'm not, I'm not saying he won't try it. But what I want to know is, what are you going to do about it? See, I'm not trying to be judgmental, nor am I trying to be self-righteous. I have four boys, and I do understand they have the potential of becoming drug addicts. They have the potential of being alcoholics. They have the potential of dropping out of school, and so do yours, and you need to wake up and understand it. If the Son of God, Jesus Christ, was at risk at home, then what makes you think you so holy? Our children, I'm not trying to judge somebody else, so I know my sons have the potential of being messed up and strung out and not make it and being ignorant and not educated. I do understand that. They have the potential. But if they do, they ain't going to do it without their daddy putting up a fight. Let me tell you what, what Harry S. Wright, Harry S. Wright used to be the president of Bishop College while I was a student there. He was the president. He now pastors in Brooklyn, New York. He used to pastor in Pastor Page's hometown in Bennettsville, South Carolina. He had a small church in Bennettsville, South Carolina, and Dr. Harriet Wright says that he used to uh, put the title of his sermon up on the board outside his church every Wednesday. He would put up what he was going to preach on Sunday. He said there was a young man that lived in his community, and every time he saw that young man, he witnessed to him. When are you going to get saved? When are you going to turn your life over to Jesus Christ? Your mother, when she was alive, was a member of our church. She loved this church. She made contributions. And I know that your mother's prayer is that you would be saved and you would get your life together and get in church. When is it going to happen? Dr. Wright said every time he saw that young man, he'd ask, when are you going to get saved? When are you going to get in church? Your mama made some major contributions. Her prayer was you get your life right with God and get into church. When are you going to do it? Dr. Wright said he went out this one particular Wednesday to put his title sermon up on that board and saw that young man went through that same spill. The young man said to Dr. Harry S. Wright, Pastor, would you leave me alone and let me go to hell in peace? Dr. Wright said his response to that young man was, if you go to hell, it'll be against my protest. If you go to hell, it'll be against my witness." And I'm not saying that the influences of Herod will not try to take my boys, but if they do, if my boys do get strung out, if they don't make it, it'll be against my protest. I'm going to put up a fight. It'll be against my prayers. It'll be against my godly example. It'll be against my witness. It'll be against my telling them, you better get your life right with God. Too many of us got families we won't fight for. Sitting up there with four or five guns talking about if somebody breaks in my house, I'm going to blow their head off. Good, blow their head off. But what about when Satan eases his way into the life of your children? You ought to blow his head away. Blow it away with prayer. Blow it away with holiness. Blow it away with the word of God. Blow it away with the Holy Ghost. Don't let him get your family without a fight. My family may not make it, but baby, I'm fighting for it. 
My wife may walk out on me, but she ain't going to walk out without a fight because I'm sticking with this thing. I'm making this thing work. I'm raising my boys. I'm taking care of my family. Matter of fact, now, now let me tell you something because I know Herod is powerful now. He's strong. He's the king. He's already killed all cattle folk. Now he's after your son. Somebody said, well, that's just too, I, I just can't handle these drugs. It's, this thing, he's too strong. He's gone too far. She's messed up too much. He won't listen. You're just going to let him go without a fight? Some of us know about Evander Holyfield. We, we sing his praises now, Evander Holyfield. Great, great world champion boxer, Christian, all that. We sing his praises now. But I remember when he first fought Mike Tyson, that first fight, before they fought, some of us were dogging out Evander Holyfield. Oh, he's stupid. Try to fight Evander Holy to fight, try to fight Iron Mike Tyson. He can't handle Mike Tyson. Now, see, y'all trying to act like y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the first fight. When we said he couldn't do it, even the announcers and the, the experts from boxing said, Holyfield can't handle Mike Tyson. He's too old. Holy, Holyfield is too old. He's over the hill. He's, he's beyond his prime. He's not going to be able to handle it. He can't. Matter of fact, he doesn't even have the heart for it. Speaking both literally and figuratively. His heart's too large. He's talking about he's been healed by God. The doctors say he's still sick. He's talking about he, he, he doesn't have the, the heart to fight him. He's not going to be able to beat Iron Man. It, it was against overwhelming odds. Even in Las Vegas, the odds were against Evander Holyfield. But Evander Holyfield was interviewed. You know what he says? He said, I'm not just giving over my belt. I'm not just giving over this championship. Mike Tyson may win, but he's going to have to fight me for it. And do you remember when Evander Holyfield, against all odds, with a bad heart, outside his prime, over the hill, others said he can't do it. Do you remember when he came out of the locker room? Y'all remember what he was wearing with that robe with the gospel music playing? And on his robe, across that bad heart, he had Philippians 4 and 13. I was watching that fight over my cousin's house. It was a group of people. Evander came out with Philippians 4 and 13 across his heart. Somebody said, Jeffrey, what does Philippians 4 and 13 say? I said, it says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. When the devil comes to try to take your child, when your child seems strung out, don't you turn him over without a fight. Don't you give it up without a fight. Get Philippians 4 and 13 in your heart. I can do all things. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. If you're going to get my kids, Satan, you got to go through me. I wish I had a witness in this place. Now, 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 don't, don't give them up without a fight. But now, y'all, we got an option now. You can, we can either destroy our children or we can deliver them. It's our choice. We can destroy them. We can get them young and stifle them in their growth and never allow them to reach their full potential. We can keep them from understanding who they are. We can destroy them, but now there's another option. We can deliver them. We can save our kids, y'all, because there was at least one that made it. There was one boy that, that wasn't in the papers. There was one boy that didn't become a statistic. There was one boy that wasn't strung out. There was one that didn't drop out of school. There was, there, one of them made it, y'all, at least one. Now, how did he make it? Well, part of the reason was the preservation and the protection of his parents. 
Because what Joseph did was he changed his son's environment. He took him from outside the rule and the reign of Herod in Israel, moved him down to black Africa in Egypt, outside the rule and the reign of Herod. Somebody said, Pastor, I wish I could move. I've been trying to get out of this neighborhood. No, 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 I'm not talking about making a geographical move. I'm talking about a moral, ethical, spiritual move. It's time for us to change the environment in our home and give our kids a spiritual protective covering over them. We can save them because there was some wise men that made some contributions. And they made a contribution in the lives of kids that, in the life of a child that didn't belong to them. Because somebody said, well, this sermon ain't even for me. I don't even have any children. Good. Because if you're wise enough, you'll start making an investment in somebody else's life. Look at what they invested. They gave Jesus some gold. That is a financial contribution in the life of a child. Don't come and tell me how bad these young people in America are and how terrible these kids in our community are if you're not willing to make an economical, financial, practical contribution to help see these kids through the troubles they're going. If you're not willing to make an investment in them, I don't want to hear you tell me how bad they are anymore. It's time for us to start investing in our kids. Gave them gold, but then you know what they also gave them? Some frankincense. Frankincense. Yeah, that's a spiritual contribution. That's what the priests would use in the temple as they would have a spiritual aroma that would go up that would be pleasing to God. Frankincense. Spiritual contribution. You know what's wrong with some of our kids? They got it economically, but they messed up spiritually. It's time for us to make a spiritual contribution. See, somebody right now said, right, right at church. You at church this morning, but your child is at home watching cartoons. You're at church, but your daughter's at home watching some movie on TV. Your son's at home watching the game. Your kids are at home playing with Nintendo 64 and PlayStation. You're at church. Your argument is that I'm not going to raise my kids the way my mama raised me. My mom and daddy always had me in church. I was in church all the time. And I'd say when I get grown, I ain't going to raise my kids the way my mom and daddy raised me. I'm gonna let, when they're 21 years old and they're grown, then they'll have a choice and they'll be able to choose the church if they want to or if they don't want to. Now let me ask you a few questions. Number one, how in the world can somebody choose from something they haven't been exposed to? If you don't expose them to church, if you don't expose them to Jesus, expose them to the Holy Spirit, expose them to God, expose them to education, and expose them to revelation, how are they going to choose from it unless they've been exposed to it? Y'all, we don't have to destroy them. We can develop them and deliver them. Let me ask you this. You're not going to raise your kids the way your mama raised you? Always had you in church? Always in Sunday school? Always at night service and prayer meeting? You're not going to do that? Let me ask you this. Has your life amounted to anything? Have you made anything of yourself? Is there, is there anything that is significant and a value in regard to you? Because if you made something of yourself, then perhaps the way your mama and daddy raised you with a God conscience and a Christian conscience had something to do with you making it. Y'all, we cannot wait till our kids are 21 years old and expose them to Jesus Christ. I just made up in my mind, listen, ain't nobody living in my house that ain't going to somebody's church. I don't care how old you are. You 30 years old, you still at home? We getting ready to go to church. 
This is the house I pay the mortgage. This is the house I provide. This is the house I'm paying the utilities. If I'm going to church, all of us are going to church. Seven, eight, nine years old, Daddy, I don't feel like going. Anybody ask you how you feel? I don't care how you feel. Boy, go put them shoes on. Your mama's getting ready to go, and you better be ready when we're ready to walk out this door. You better get them kids in church. Provided for them spiritually, provided for them economically, then gave them some myrrh. Myrrh was what they used to help embalm the bodies because Jesus came to die. And it's his dying on the cross and God raising him from the dead that gives us a right to the tree of life by faith. But Jesus is not the only one that's going to die, y'all. And we better make an eternal contribution to the lives of our children. We better make sure our kids understand you don't have to be 100 years old to die. You don't have to be 80 years old to die. You can die young, and you better make sure you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I thank God for my kids. They're on the honor roll, and they can play basketball. They're on the honor roll, and they can run. They're on the honor roll, and they can play baseball. Because, yeah, if they make it to the NBA, great. Hook me up. Get me some seats. I want to be on the front row. But even more than that, you better get something in your head, and you better get Jesus in your heart. Because you're going to need to be able to do more than shoot a ball. Because when you get through playing ball for 48 minutes, you still got to live in the world the rest of the time. <laughs> Running up here telling me how great an athlete, you're oh, my child, got a scholarship. They can't get in. They can't read and write. What difference is a scholarship if I can't pass the test to get into school? I ran into some kid that was about five foot three, told me he's not going to college. He's going to try to get straight to the NBA like Sean Kemp. I said, man, Sean Kemp is six feet 11. And I'm not saying don't have your dreams. Keep your dream alive. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And when we let them say things like that and don't respond, y'all, we're adding to their destruction. Go on and go straight from high school to the NBA. Great, but know how to read and write and count your own money. Know how to pray. Know how to read your Bible. Know how to stand up for Jesus Christ. Know how to be a husband and a father. You ought to be able to do more than slam on somebody. Am I making any sense at all? You ought to be able to do more than outrun me. I can beat you in running. Yeah, but can you keep your family together? No wonder by the time we get down to verse 18, there's a mother that's crying. Matthew chapter 2, verse 18, in Ramah there was a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children and would not be comforted because they are not. There was a voice that was heard. There was a woman who was crying, Rachel, Ramah. Ramah is that place that when the children of Israel were defeated by the Babylonian army, Ramah was the place that they were held before they were going to bondage in Babylon. It was the waiting place, the holding place, until they went into bondage. It was an area by which Rachel was buried near that place, the wife of Jacob, 
She was considered the mother of all of Israel. But look at the mother of Israel. She is crying because of her children. Well, what's wrong with them? They're in bondage. They are not. And the reason they are not what they should be, they are not living up to their potential. They are not becoming the men they ought to be. Why is that? It's because they're in bondage. Sometimes when we see these kids and we try to talk to them and we try to relate to them, we try to tell them you got to get your life together. It doesn't work like that. You can't live like that. And they look at us like we're crazy. And they'll steal from their own mother and steal from their own father. Hit you upside the head and don't even know anything about you. Cuss me out. Preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have no respect for the church, no respect for the things of God. And we wonder what's wrong with them. Y'all, they're in bondage. And until they are set free, they will never live up to what they ought to be. Every time I do the funeral of a 14-year-old kid that's committed suicide, or 15-year-old that's OD'd on some drugs, or a 16-year-old that's jumped out of some window, or a 17-year-old that's got shot in the head, I'm sitting up here thinking these kids never reach their full potential. And what's so bad about it, some of us are too happy. Rachel refused to be comforted. A voice was heard. What was she doing? Weeping and crying. She refused. Why did she refuse? Look at the children in our community. Some of us are too happy, too excited, too joyful while our kids are messed up. But you know what Rachel kept doing? She kept on crying. Oh, I like that. And a voice was heard. What were they doing? Crying. Who heard her cries? Who was it that heard it when she began to cry? Was it the other parent? They're absent in the text. Was it the priest and the preacher? Can't find them in the passage. Was it the politician? The G-men did the murders. Where was everybody? Who heard her cries? You know who I believe heard her cry? I believe God heard her. Because I just believe I don't care how bleak it looks, how much in bondage our children appear to be. I believe if we keep on crying to the Lord, I just believe God is going to hear our cries. I, I just believe if we keep lifting these young people up before the Lord, I don't know. I just, I just believe if he'll hear the cries of the children of Israel and come down to see about, I believe he'll hear the cries of his children today. Mama, don't you stop crying. Daddy, don't you give up on that boy. Because if you cry long enough and loud enough, God will hear your cry. Pastor, wait a minute. How do you know it was God that heard her cry in verse 18? Because verse 19 says, but when Herod was dead. Children in bondage in Ramah. They're trying to be destroyed in Bethlehem. Dying in Indianapolis. Crying to the Lord. How do you know God heard her cry when Herod was dead? She cried in verse 18. God removed the problem in verse 19. Mama, don't you stop crying. Daddy, don't you give up on that board. Community, don't you throw in the towel. Because y'all know if you keep on crying. The Bible said in verse 19, an angel of the Lord appeared. Has that ever happened to you? When odds were against you? But you kept on crying to the Lord. Folk told you you couldn't make it. Said your kids would never amount to anything. Said you'll never get out of that situation. But you kept crying to the Lord. And an angel appeared. 
God ain't never showed up for you. Oh, 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 I know I ain't going to get no help in here, but I know, I know somebody. You know God will show up. You falling down on your knees, and you prayed all that night. Your bed was wet with tears. You just believed God. Somebody knows God will show up. You were sick in your body. Doctor said you couldn't get well. Doctor said they didn't know what was wrong with you. You called on a doctor that's never lost a patient. An angel, y'all know God will show up. You couldn't pay your bills. You didn't know how you were going to get ends to meet. But you cried unto the Lord. You know God will show up. You didn't know how you were going to pay those bills in school and get through school. Won't God show up? Won't God get you a job? Won't God put clothes on your back? Won't God put food on your table? Won't God put some shoes on your feet? Won't he deliver your children? Won't he show up? I dare you, I dare you, I dare you, I dare you. I don't care what other folks say. You just keep on crying. God, I know you can do something. God, I know my son is messed up. God, I know he's strung out. God, sociologists say he'll always be a drug addict. God, he can't seem to throw down the bottle. But I dare you to keep on calling on the Lord. God, I believe what my grandmama told me. You can make a way out of no way. God, show up. God, show up. God, show up. God, show up. Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he do it? Won't he show up? Yes. Yes, he will. 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 Yes, 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 he will. Somebody, you may not need this, but somebody else has been crying a long time. He'll show up. He'll show up. And when he shows up, he will show out. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. God, you got to show up. God, we need you to show up. God, you got to step in this thing. It's too many of our kids dying. Too many of our girls are messed up. Too many of our families are falling apart. God, you got to show up. God, we're just going to wait. We're going to wait on you. We're not throwing in the towel. We're not giving up. God, we're going to wait till you show up in this situation. Satan, I ain't going nowhere. You can hit me all you want. I ain't going nowhere. You can beat me all you want. I ain't going nowhere. God, I'm going to stay right here until you show up yes 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 yes
right now in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. No one move as you're coming to the front to get your life right with God. There is some father here, some father, some father. You got to get it right. You got to get it right. You got to get it right. It's time. It's time. Stop worrying about what other folk are saying about you. Don't you go down without a fight. Don't you go down, Daddy, without a fight. You get up out of that seat. Preacher, I'm coming. I'm getting my life right with God. I'm going to. I need all the help I can get in my family. I'm coming. My children's lives are at stake. Some mother right now, some mother, it's time. It's all right to cry, but it's time to start crying out to the Lord. Preacher, I'm coming. Come on, young man. I'm coming. Some boy in here right now, your life is at stake. Your life is at stake. Your life is at stake, young man. Young man, your life is at stake. Satan's not trying to hurt your feelings. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Right now, in the name of Jesus, there is a conspiracy to take you out. There are evil influences that don't want to see you make it, that don't want to see you achieve, that don't want to see you be what God wants you to be. But it's time for you to get your life right with Jesus Christ, to enter into a relationship with God through his son. It is time now to step up and be delivered, not to be destroyed. You have a choice. Pick up that phone and call us that we might lead you in prayer and might lead you in the area of salvation that you might be saved. And you need to change environments, not just geographically, but I mean spiritually. You need a church home where you can grow and develop. You're always welcome to the Eastern Star Church family. God wants to set you free. And once he sets you free, then you need to run with folk who are free. You need a church home. And, of course, we are always easy to find. We are the place where Jesus is exalted and the word is explained. God bless you. Amen. Let's give as the Lord has.